All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 483 points, or 1.5%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 56 points, or 1.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 103 points, or 1%. And being that it was the first four trading days of 2023, that is also the year to date. And, you know, we're, we're kicking off 2023 with another attack of the Fridays. We saw a lot of the attack of the Fridays in 2022. And once again, on Friday, what appeared to be more of a short covering rally due to the, I guess, better than anticipated employment numbers that were released on Friday. And really, and saw it was the shorts coming in. It wasn't, it wasn't really about the number of new jobs created. It was about earnings. It was about the a- average hourly earnings increase was less than expected, and I believe there were some revisions uh, that went back a few months that, that uh, also lowered some of those statistics, which the market took as a, oh, well, that must be, it's going to be great news for uh, for inflation and next week's CPI number, which comes out on Thursday, has got to be has got to be better. So therefore, let's you know go in and put some more money into stocks. Now, I don't I don't mean I don't mean to sound so um, <laughs> sarcastic about the whole thing. Uh, this reeks, as Kyle said, of a short covering rally. Uh, the folks that were short expecting a number that wasn't going to be as friendly uh, didn't get it. And so they just go in and cover their shorts, and you get this 700-point rally. But what's friendly, really changed? I mean, what's really friendly. changed? We still have earnings staring us in the face. Uh, we we don't have that CPI number yet. We've, we've had it. There were a number of Federal Reserve prognosticators and governors and I don't know if any how many of them are actually voting members on the committee 
uh, who were by and large, uh, we're going to stay the course. Uh, there is no uh, immediate uh, plan to stop raising interest rates, nor is there any immediate plan after we stop uh, raising interest rates, whenever that is, that we're going to immediately turn around and start cutting interest rates. So there, other than other than one statistic on Friday that was driving the whole market sentiment, and there was a whole lot of giddiness on Friday when this when this number hit, and the, and I mean, we were up what seven hundred points at one time on the Dow. I didn't close there, but but we, yeah, it was it was a no, it, it was a, I didn't. It was up over seven hundred for the day. For the for the day. Okay. Um, I mean, give me a break. The volatility continues. Volatility well, I think the continues. handicapping. Everybody trying to handicap the Fed and what they're going to do in the pivot is continuing. That's that seems to be the ongoing theme. The last year or so, or last six months or so, is any kind of good news with CPI numbers or. or P, uh, PCE numbers or job numbers. Everybody starts speculating on when the Fed's going to pivot and when they're going to stop raising rates. So, if, you re- if you remember the the number related to employment on the prior day on Thursday, which I think was the JOLT survey, was not friendly, or at least was perceived by the market as not being friendly. You know, talking about the Fed, particularly on Thursday, Neil Kashkari. Now, what's interesting about Neil Kashkari, who I believe is the Fed governor out of the Minneapolis Bank, is that prior to the interest rate, right? You know, the interest rate raises that happened in 2022, he was considered one of the most dovish, saying, you know, inflation is transitory. You know, carrying that whole line. Thursday morning, right before the open, he came out and he was by far the most hawkish. Now, Jim Bullard. For years, I used to always give a hard time on the radio show saying if Jim Bullard, James Bullard opens his mouth as a Fed governor, it's the it's the Bullard put. The market's going to go down, particularly the Dow would be down between 125 and 200 points every time he opened his mouth looking back over the years. But now all of a sudden, Neil Kashkari has, has become the most hawkish. So he has gone the complete opposite of where he was about 13, 14 months ago saying the Fed wasn't needing to raise rates or raise as high. Now, he comes out Thursday morning saying that now he's saying we could see the Fed fund rate go to 5.4. We got to hold it at that level for much longer. And the markets definitely did not like that on Thursday. But what was also interesting is as we were going throughout the day on Thursday, James Bullard, who is not going to be a, a voting member, came out and actually said that 2023 is going to be the year of deflation. Now, as soon as I heard that, I immediately turned my attention to my to my screen to see how the market reacted. And there was a bit of a reaction. It was a bit muted, but I was very surprised that we didn't see a bigger turnaround when someone is who's known as being as hawkish James Bullard is stating that 2023, he sees it as a year of deflation. I was very surprised he said that. And just to illustrate how surprised Kyle was, he ran to my office like a just giddy talking about. (laughs) Did you just hear what James Bullard said? Yes. I, yes. I couldn't believe I couldn't believe those words actually came out of his mouth that 2023 is a year of deflation, and I don't disagree with him. I don't but disagree the, with him. But we need to we need to qualify. What does he mean by deflation? He he doesn't mean we're going to have negative 
inflation numbers. No. He just means that the rate of inflation that we saw at the heights in 2022, we're not going to see those levels in 2023. But does that mean we're going to have 1% inflation by the end of the year? I don't believe that. Do you not, all believe not, that? Not, not with the lack of energy policy coming out of Washington. It's going to be impossible to see. And I, and I, don't, and I think it's going to be impossible to see the 2% mandate from the Fed. So let's pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, we were covering some topics I know that is dad's favorite, the, the, the loose cannon's favorite, talking about the Fed. And, and, of course, he'll call me at home and say, would you guys spend too much time talking about the Fed? But you know what? 2022 is all about the Fed and monetary policy. We're dealing with the same situation in 2023 with some emphasis on the earnings, you know, what the E is going to be for the S&P 500 and the individual companies themselves. But something I wanted to go back and talk about because, you know, the big news on Friday was the jobs numbers and the Jobs created was a little bit above expectation, and memory serves me correct, 223,000 jobs were created. Uh, unemployment rate dipped down to 3.5%, and the U6, which is considered the true unemployment number, set a historic low since this number is kept at 6.5%. Now, where the market reacted positively, as uh, reacted positive, or positive to the numbers was the actual wage inflation. In fact, the wage inflation, I believe, was at four tenths, which was below expectations. And then was it not at four tenths? It was. It's. It was three tenths. Excuse me. Three uh, tenths, which was, which was a little four tenths, was what was expected. Um, and then November was revised down from a previously reported up six tenths to now up four tenths. So there was actually okay. a bigger change with November's number uh, than there was with the December number coming in lower than expectations. Unemployment is now at three and a half percent. I think you'd mentioned that yeah. labor force you, participation grew slightly two tenths of 1%, well, but it's still but, but, historically hold, low. So, so, you know, for our listeners wondering, well, well, if wage inflation is coming down and we still have inflation where it is, how is that positive for workers? You know, why is this a good thing? And I know when they were going through the different panels after the number came out on CNBC, they reached out to a woman who was the head economist at ADP, Electronic Data System, or Automated Data Systems for payroll. And she said, you know, this actually isn't a good thing. Because workers are now starting to make less, and inflation, although it's it's peaked and it's coming down, we're now seeing wage inflation below that of monetary inflation, and how is that good for the workers, and why the market reacted positive to that? Well, what it really comes down to is it comes down to the Fed. 
and their interest rate increasing decisions and when are they going to stop? When are they going to get to the terminal rate? And when can the market reprice the stocks to that new terminal rate? And so this is where the positivity, this is going back to Jeff's old saying, the kind of the perversion of the market, where what's bad is good for the market and what good data is bad for the market. So that is the situation, and that's what occurred on Friday. But as we said in the first segment, this has the telltale signs of a short covering rally. Folks that thought the number, the wage inflation was going to be worse or revisions in past months were going to be higher, showing that inflation, particularly on the wage side, is continuing to be stickier, which would require the Fed to continue to raise rates longer and higher. Gotcha. What, one thing also about wage inf- about wages, how is that going to how is that going to correlate to earnings down the road? If companies don't have to pay as much for 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 capital for human capital, well, maybe it'll be easier for them to hit their earnings expectations in the longer run. Point. So that is a positive. There's a small small light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps from the earnings standpoint, because it's it's been extremely tough to hire people, obviously, but you got to pay them more. That's going to hit your margins. So. That's right. And and we have this past week heard of some other layoffs that are occurring at some of the big tech companies. But when you look at the grand scheme of how many people are employed in the tech industry, I mean, it's tiny compared to the service sector, and it is minuscule compared to the government. Government employees, I believe I heard on Friday, government employees account for about 21.2 million workers in this country, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. So obviously the U.S. government is the biggest employer in the, in the world, in essence. So the market responded positively. Let's see what the follow-through is going to be on Monday and into next week. Because from a technical standpoint for the for the home gamers, we got the S&P right back close to its 50-day moving average. But it's also just coming to the top end of a range that we've been in since December the 16th. Well, we've, we've actually been in a trading range going back a lot further than that. Um, I'm looking here to do chart of the S&P 500. We're still firmly in a downtrend. The downtrend goes all the way back a full year ago. Because if you remember, the top of the market was basically the first trading day of 2022. So we've been in this downtrend now a full year. Which means the bear market, we've been in it now for a full year. So if this is, if this, bear market plays out like it has historically in the past, the bear market should last somewhere between 14, 16 months, something along those lines, which puts it, puts it, puts it ending sometime prior to uh, say the third quarter prior to July. Um, I, I'm still in the camp that I think we'll test the lows that were set last October, which was about, just slightly below 3,500 uh, on the S&P 500 intraday. And it's probably going to begin with some of these earnings numbers, which begin next week. Now, next week's kind of a light week in terms of earnings numbers. It's the week following and the, and the, other, and the week after that. That's all the meat and potatoes. That's all the big heavy hitters. And one thing I'll say about these layoffs, you know, Amazon raised their, their layoffs this week over what they previously said they were going to lay off. The, you know, the thing about these layoffs is all these big tech companies, 
that have been the drivers of uh, stock market gains in the last three years, if, if every one of those companies is coming out with layoffs, the sentiment of those those stocks themselves, you know, what's the sentiment from an investor point of view? These companies have reached the point where they've got to start laying off people because they obviously weren't managing their businesses very well over the last few years, way over hiring. But but again, Amazon they overhired during COVID. They all I mean you go a, a you lot go of these tech companies overhired yeah. and, and the numbers that they're cutting though, Jeff, are, are are small, tiny percentages of their overall employee base. And when you look this past week when the job opening numbers came out, there's ten point four million jobs available. So this is why I'm in the camp. But that, they're not yes, in, they're not at tech companies. But you don't know that. I mean I'm sure there's some tech jobs out there and some of these smaller mid and small size tech companies, absolutely. And if you're someone who's maybe been at Google for five or seven years and getting laid off, and you're a small or mid-sized tech company looking for that kind of experience at work for a mega, you know, Fortune 500 company, tech company like a Google, you know, that would be a pretty good hire. So the folks that are getting laid off, there's over 10.4 million jobs available. Granted, yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. Small company might- isn't going to pay what the what Google paid them. But but here's the thing. Do you want a job or not? Do you want to make income or not? Do you want to keep a roof over your head and food on your table and the lights on? I mean, that's that's the whole thing. And this is the reason why I'm in the camp. Yes, we could see a, 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 a recession. We could see a slowdown, a slow session. I actually read that, a slow session. Could, could, do you, we could did you see, see that. Did you see that the but let inversion? Me finish my point real quick. No, I want to yes, finish my point. Yes, I understand. I, I, oh, oh, Peter, let me finish my been. point. The worst it's ever been. Yes, there there is an inversion, but remember that's also driven based on bond investor sentiment. So so they're out there selling on the short end is what they're doing, and they're locking up on the longer end of the yield curve, pushing those rates down. So yes, there is an inversion, and yes, it's one of the worst that we've ever seen, but it's also being driven by investor decisions by bond investor decisions wanting to lock in higher rates that they haven't had access to in 15 years and locking in those the the pensions the endowments saying hey we can get close to a four percent yield to maturity in a 10 15 year treasury i want to lock that in because i don't know how how long rates are going to stay at this level but why would why wouldn't they buy a four or five percent treasury out two years because the, because they feel the rates are going to be I, lower by then. I, rates are going to be lower in 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 two to you know well, two to four years. If rates are going to be lower in two to four years, are stocks necessarily going to be higher before those rates go lower, or are stocks going to be lower before those rates get lower? That that's the dynamics of the market. Nobody knows. No one has that crystal ball. No, no. But, I, but, I think but, the probabilities but, are higher that stocks are lower before those rates get lower. But the the only point I was trying to make before we go to break is that, yeah, we could definitely see a recession, but that's why I'm in the camp that we're not going to see a deep, dark, nasty recession as some prognosticators on in the financial entertainment press and, and writing and scaring a lot of investors, stirring up emotions because of the fact that we have 10.4 million jobs open. So the folks that are getting laid off and losing their jobs, they have other places they can go to earn a living and keep a roof over their head and their lights on. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, just continuing to talk about, you know, the employment picture. You know, we saw overhiring during the COVID pandemic. And now they're coming back around and looking to get leaner and meaner. And just because companies are starting to do some slight layoffs, and for these big tech companies, it's very small percentages of their total employee base, this could wind up being a more positive longer term for their bottom line because they're spending less on their employees. They're spending less. And then when we've got the numbers that came out on Friday with wage inflation starting to come down, that can combine to help with the E, which is kind of the big $64,000 question going into 2023, is what what is the E for corporate America? What are the earnings? And how is the market going to react? And it's going to be on a company-by-company basis. Well, and, and what I was looking at is statistics on Meta. And Meta obviously had a pretty good run the last couple of months. And in November, they're, they're talking about laying people off. They announced they're laying 11,000 employees off the end of November in the stock has taken off and off that bottom in, in early November, it's recovered about forty eh, percent, I believe. So sometimes but just also, could, go ahead, Joe. No, and then, like you're, you, we were talking about, sometimes getting lean and mean could perhaps be better for a stock. And these big mega cap stocks, they've lived a a a, a life the last ten to fifteen years. They've been getting, you know, it's like a hog of the trough. And now they're having, actually having to have some discipline with the way that they manage their companies and their employees. And they're going to have to bring some people in if they have to lay people off. And I was hearing this the other day about that actually know how to lay people off. Oh, wow. We actually, we have to have a have reduction in force. Go. How the heck yeah. do we do that? Well, we're going to have to get a consultant to do that because we're not quite sure. You know? Well, and that's, and that's, that's, that's a good point. I mean, you don't hear, you know, Google talking about having to lay a bunch of people off. Uh, and, and there was even rumors being floated this past week that Jeff Bezos might find his way back to Amazon. Although Andy Jaffe, who's the CEO that took over for Jeff Bezos, you know, sometime back, they had already announced last year that they're going to start trimming the fat because they did overhire during COVID, particularly in the warehouse and fulfillment centers, now that things are slowing down. But the bottom line is, with all these jobs still available, getting laid off isn't necessarily a death nail to you and your family's life because there are so many jobs available. And I think that will, again, keep the economy from going into a deep, dark recession. Doesn't mean we're not going to have a recession. I mean, heck, we had one in 2022, although Washington and the Biden administration won't call it a recession. But we were technically in a recession you know, at the first half of 2022. So we might see that again in 2023. But back to Jeff's point, if this bear market is going to follow historic trends, the average bear market's lasting between 14 and 18 months. Well, we have now hit month number 12. We've hit month number 12. So if we're just following a 14-month average, 
you know, that's going to get us into the April, May, June time frame before we get out of that. Now, if earnings come out to be better than expected and we get the Fed maybe raising rates two more times, then obviously the recovery from this bear market could start sooner. But I can tell you the one thing that we did in our portfolios Day number one, just like we did last year, is we took profits across the board. You know, because we took so many profits at the beginning of 2022 and didn't want to generate any more realized capital gains for our clients and obviously did tax loss harvesting at the very end of December to offset taxes as much as we possibly could for all of our taxable clients. We did another profit scrape on first day of the new year. And well, raised a lot of gains across well, with the board. That too, but by, we, but by, we, go, go ahead, ahead Joe. Well, with that also, you rebalance a little bit on the individual stock side. So each one of our individual stocks, there's no more than a, a half a percent position in each one of them. So Depending upon the allocation, that, that's yeah. absolutely right. And, and so not only did we take profits, but we did get a little bit more defensive. Because we do know the Fed is going to be raising at least one or you know two or possibly three more times. We know we've got to get earnings. And so our game plan and our strategy that we have in place is, is we're bringing everything back to center. And then as these earnings come out over the next couple quarters, we have plenty of cash available to start incrementally dollar cost averaging back into the names that we know we want to own for the long term because they're fundamentally sound. And so when you look at our portfolio from an allocation standpoint, we are slightly below a 40% allocation to stocks still as we begin 2023. But now we've also booked profits. And one of the oldest sayings we say in our 34-year history, you never go broke taking a profit. And that is what we did. Well, one of the biggest changes we made last week was we exited our short on interest rates that we'd had in place now for a whole year. Um, so we're no longer uh, short on interest rates. Now, that's not meaning that we're saying we don't think interest rates can can continue to maybe trend higher here. We're we're just saying that from our point of view, the potential opportunity for appreciation in that particular instrument, uh, we think the the most of the gains to be achieved have occurred. They occurred last year. Sure, there could be some additional gains this year, but we've decided that we're going to redeploy that money uh, into other th- in, into other investments. One thing I would like to say about you know Meta and just caution everybody. And I know that we're not saying this, but I just we're want just to, using that as an example. I just want to want uh, It's just just because a company has announced layoffs does not necessarily mean it's an indication of the low in the stock. And, and you know Meta. I, I don't know. It was down seventy percent last year, top to buy. It opened the year at one of the worst stocks, three hundred and fifty-three dollars a share, and ended the year like in the one twenties, and it got to as low as eighty-eight dollars intraday in November. Yeah, sure. Somebody that you know, trader wants to come in there and pick that thing up. I mean, they're looking pretty pretty smart right now, up almost fifty percent in in two months in it. But, you know, the, the earnings estimates for this year are down 34% for that stock from last year. And I don't even know if that's right. That's just an estimate. They could be down more. They could be down less. Um, that That's, I mean, and that, that company's got so many issues right now. Don't even get me started 
Well, um, we're not even talking about the overspending on Meta, but let's just talk about the political. You know, don't even want to get into the political aspect. Yeah. The fact that they're running commercials about keeping Donald Trump off of Facebook. I mean, it, it's become a political hot potato. And and which, on top which, of on top of the overspending on the metaverse, which I, I personally just don't see it. I, I, I just don't. You, you know see what's it. interesting with those VR goggles is now Apple's doing them and everybody else is doing them. I'm like, I don't get it. I know I, Jeff has a pair. I've seen Jeff. You know, no, I do not. Some of our video things. I don't even play. The Jeff rides bike, so he's virtually riding X, his bike. I don't know, you know if I got an Xbox. I don't know what I have. I don't even a play Wii. it. A Wii. Well, that was, you have that a, Wii. Has a Wii. Yeah, one of the oh, things okay. that Dad took me to task on when I saw him earlier this week is, is he said, you know, you guys are spending too much time talking about the Fed. It's like, yeah, Dad. Yeah, we know. Tell me tell me something we don't already know. He's, but he said, you know what you're not spending enough time talking about? I said, what's that? He said, you're not talk, spending enough time talking about politics. And how that's affected well, the market. We can and talk so about I, the house right now. I, the house I, I, said, I said, you know, Dad, to me, you know, last year, nobody was talking about the political situation and how it was affecting stock prices. I, I do think that for some investors, there's probably some psychological um, issues taking place with they're not happy with the administration, therefore they're just not happy in general. Therefore, I don't want to be in risk assets, and stocks are perceived as the the easiest scapegoat for risk assets, and so therefore I'm just going to not not own stocks. Um, I don't think that's really what's driving the down, you know, the the downturn we've had in stocks in the last year, or you know, is is the motivating factor for you know, how much longer the bear market lasts because there isn't going to be any changes politically uh, for at least another two years. And by this fall, we're going to be talking about the presidential election that we're going to be hearing about that 24-7. Now, by then, uh, if history holds, we will have seen the lows for the, this bear market phase and the market will start be starting to recover. I don't know about the economy. I don't know if necessarily the economy uh, has bottomed, but the stock market, as we all know, will bottom before the economy bottoms. Yes, Joe. Well, quick point. I will say this. From a political standpoint, you look at the omnibus bill that was just passed. From a spending standpoint, that has affected the economy because that's why we're in this situation in the first place is because of, you know part of the reason we have inflation is we've been spending money hand over fist, and, and Congress has been writing a blank check that we can't cash. And that has actually impacted the market to a degree because it impacts well, the Fed, it impacts rates, and it impacts inflation. So from that it. perspective, you know, there is an impact that they are having on the market. They won't well, admit it. Abs- well, but- no, absolutely, no, absolutely, because, well, and we got to take a break, so let me pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. 
If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and I got cut off by the commercial break uh, because, Joe, you were making the point about just the excess government spending in this huge omnibus bill that was just chock full of pork. And I know one of the things, you know, talk dad wanting to talk more about politics, the one issue that Kevin McCarthy is having such a tough time getting elected Speaker of the House is one, I guess, the Freedom Caucus, one of the things that they wanted and what they're asking for is that bills are raised and brought to the floor as single bills, not 4,000 pages of a multitude of different bills and pork that no human being, no matter how big your staff is, can read and, and do a vote in 24 to 48 hours. I mean, I think they should not only do the, you only can bring one bill to the floor, but I think that you also get at least 48 hours plus to decipher the information and read it. And if anyone's ever read one of these bills, I remember many moons ago, back in 2006, I started reading the Pension Protection Act of 2006 when George Bush was in the White House, all 725 pages of it. I got about 50 pages in this thing. (laughs) And I do this for a living, and it is written in legal ease. And I thought to myself, there is no way there is a single person in Congress that understands and can digest what they're reading and what they're voting on. How about they put a rule in there that the bills are written in plain English, not legalese, because not everyone in Congress is an attorney. That's why we have ERISA attorneys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bring, bring, bring one bill at a time, not these giant omnibus packages. And they yeah. give their staff and the actual person casting the vote for it the chance to digest it and understand what they're voting for. And I get what the Freedom Talk Caucus is doing. And, and, and I think that Kevin McCarthy, he needs to really listen. And if he did and negotiate in good faith, I think this would long since be done. But it's getting to the point where it's long in the tooth and it's embarrassing the, the GOP. It's getting to that point. But what I was going, to, but what I was going to say about the omnibus spending bill and all the spending that was done since Joe Biden has come into the White House, spending that didn't need to be done, like during Trump, towards the end with COVID, yes, that had to be done. We shut the country down. We, first pandemics and smallpox in the early 1900s. You know, there was no roadmap for this. And so you had to use best efforts. But then the additional spending, this is what has prolonged people not going back to work. It's, again, contributed to wage inflation, and it's contributed to monetary inflation in general, which is causing the Fed to do what they did all in 2022 and will continue for a short period of time in 2023. And so when I go back, and I know clients and longtime listeners, I talk about the money supply. I mean, we still have 5.9, excuse me, $5.94 trillion of excess funds. And M2, if you go back to the end of January of 2020 before COVID hit, so there's still that excess cash. And we've said this on last year's, during last year's shows, is this excess money going to outlast monetary inflation? And that's the $64,000 question. Jeff, you say no, but I would say that the American consumer is holding up pretty well when we see the third revision of third quarter GDP at 3.2%. So this money is obviously lasting, but we still have 10.4 million jobs available. 
That is also dwindling. That's also shrinking. I believe I that there's more jobs available than would, unemployed. You know, I know we've we've mentioned this statistic, and they, they mentioned this statistic a gazillion times. I've yet to have anybody show me any any statistics about what are these jobs. Are these the lowest of the lowest rung service jobs? Because they're not the highest of the highest tech or business or you know medical job. I mean that that's not what these jobs are, right? No one showed me that statistic. That so, would be interesting to know. It, it would be interesting to know, but it, it, that's it's that particular statistic to me is only adding more fuel to the fire that the the Fed could continue to do what they're doing. Uh, longer, and we're going to have higher interest rates for longer, and that's going to be competition for stock money for longer, and that means that you know I just I'm still of the opinion that uh, there's still some more revisions that need to occur in terms of earnings and expectations for price to earnings ratios, given the current interest rate environment and the environment. That we that I think is going to be here you know, here in the future with these even higher interest rates. I mean, if we're going to be getting five percent yields in cash, which we're not there yet, we're not there yet, but we're very but we're very close. We're we're one or two uh, Fed Fed rate increases away from that, and maybe we're getting some sixes in corporate bonds. What does that mean? For the computation of price-to-earnings ratio, given that level uh, of interest rates available in the marketplace, yeah, that's that's the question that the market is basically for the last year. The market's been saying, "Well, we got to bring values down." The question we're all dealing, you know, dealing with as investors is: Have they got it down to the point where the bear market is finally over and a new bull market? Is emerging, and I just don't think we're there yet. Well, we'll, we'll know a little bit more next week. We're, 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 but Jeff, we're I think you would agree bit more next week. But it's going to be it maybe a couple of quarters of earnings news and and lowered expectations and more layoffs before I before I would declare that the the, the Federal Reserve has won over inflation. Can I, can I get this at it yeah. f- from you, Jeff? Do you think we are closer to the end of the bear market than the beginning? <laughs> well, Come on, I want to pull a ray of sunshine really? out of you. Is that a trick question? Can, can you <laughs> give me that? Would you say that we're much closer to the end of this bear market? Oh, now you change it to much closer. Okay, closer. We're closer to the end. Well, sure. I mean, we have Late to be We're a year into it. Okay, right. so 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 we're I know we're coming up the top of our break soon, but the the point I, the last point I wanted to make is that yes, we're definitely finally getting a hold of interest rates that we haven't had access to for all investors for fifteen plus years. Okay, so yep. yes, we have that, but but even a five or six percent of corporate bond yield for for a lot of investors, not our clients, but for a lot of other investors out there, that's not going to get them back to whole from what they've lost on paper in the twenty twenty two bear market. And so they're going to need some capital appreciation. If we're getting closer to the end of the bear market than the beginning, then have your buy list ready, dollar cost average, and make sure you have some dry powder available as these earnings are coming out stock by stock. And if you have a long-term perspective, I'm sorry, with NVIDIA, 49.5% 
below its 52-week high. I don't think NVIDIA is going out of, out, of, out of business anytime soon. And I think three to four to five years from now, anyone picking up someone like NVIDIA is going to be smiling all the way to the bank in their portfolio. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving in the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, and I found a, an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things Every Retirement Portfolio Should Have. And for any longtime listener of the Money, or for any longtime listeners of the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists our countdown list here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I, I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the, the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one, for the five things every retirement portfolio should have, and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income, for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend paying stocks that can produce consistent 
annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again, uh, the dogs of the Dow are the uh, at the beginning of each year they identify the five or ten highest dividend paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year, or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5. I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was going to say the problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired that, that they can survive on, unless and as we've talked on this program. If you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we there, there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid, privately traded REITs or REITs in general. There's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring 
when they go down in value. Many of the, the, the mesh limited partnerships, some of the REITs, had large declines in values and saw their yields go up. And for whatever reason, the, the, the investor that held those, those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8 and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value. And so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more uh, – uh, there's a better treatment of, of, of taxation – uh, on on those dividend paying stocks, and you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up, right before we went to commercial break, the REITs or Real Estate Investment Trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had and I've said I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said oh Kyle look at the great 10 15 12 percent dividend yield I'm getting and I'm saying and I said to them but you've lost 50 percent or 75 percent of the value of your original investment and then I see the look come over their face saying oh my gosh I just realized that I was like you said earlier focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture so for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print. In every perspective, as we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been, really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, 
there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that oh you know it, it's it, that's all it. these all this these yeah this is it it can't go any higher we'll go we'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began and there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to in essence board up their portfolios get ready for that coming storm get ready for that hurricane that's coming and you know preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about but it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar, but most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what still really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds. They thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, "I want out. I don't care what it what it, where things are valued at. I don't care where the markets are. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds." And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling. And so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, and, you, and, and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to, to fixed income found out that, yes, you can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one, and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come, is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their 
own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here at, that have come through our front door that have been in that situation. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, Number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans. And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – The one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, 
And let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month. That is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, That's if you choose the single life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent 25 to 40 plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less than option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident, then guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option, and there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. 
Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have... Usually when you re- when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401k and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401k to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate, and you didn't make and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account, you you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liqui- it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments. No one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of of payments which is in essence an annuity they don't ever call it that which is very interesting it's not when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office it never says annuity it's just this is going to be your payment for your life life for your heir's life for your spouse's life it doesn't say that this is an essence an annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves, by, but, but doing it by not owning an annuity. And having full access to their money in case... Complete liquidity, complete complete flexibility, flexibility. and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. 
And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those, those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff, some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead do Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we'd said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of illiquidity. liquidity, of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis, and the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs, where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trust or REITs, in bold letters, now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've you been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, 
we have we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded. Okay. So again, when we're we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's Money Wise program. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have. We've done consistent income, preservation of capital capital, liquidity slash flexibility. And we've got number four and five coming up after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh, my gosh, how many? I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. Uh, and our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, and the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement, that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs, ask the questions, and and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And 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 the person on the other side of the table should not him haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses and there's lots of other 
ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show they can add up and they're not always obvious and you have to as Kyle says dig deeper to figure it out uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at the major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year, and go up from there. That's right. Uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management, and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make, and their answer is nothing, that's a flat out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing don't it work. out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again, is long-term growth. The bottom line is, is as you get closer to retirement, and as Jeff said at the, the beginning of this second hour, you can't just board up your portfolio. You cannot say, well, I'm two or three years away from retiring, so now I'm just going to move everything 100% into fixed income. Now I'm safe. Yeah, preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth. You always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with pre- preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio not paying attention to that not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss well it's not going to show it on your statement but it is a loss one thing that that i think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the cpi running around two percent are just about over and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position, 
And you might be past the age of 59 and a half. One thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week